open up your books, you bad apples. Uh, hello everyone, and welcome to the Bad Apple Kindle Club. Uh, Lucas Nord here. And I'm Cole Lang. And I just wanted to get it out of the way. I didn't want to make a big deal out of it, but yes, for anyone that has been curious, I did purchase a Kindle to read books on. You know, we gotta call this the Bad Apple Kindle Club now, Lucas. That is uh, literally what I just said <laughs> when we started recording. <laughs> uh, dang it, I don't know. How how do you like the Kindle? I gotta tell ya, um, putting down the old paperback, I was only looking at the losses in doing that, and I wasn't seeing all the wonderful advantages of this this thing here. It sounds like I'm reading an ad for Amazon, but we aren't there quite yet. Give it a few more episodes. Um, yeah, a few more. But, you know, you could just hold it right in your hand. I don't need a light on in the house. I could just, uh, it's got like a pretty nice battery life on it. Kind of expensive buying the books, I'm not going to lie. Um, $10 for Catcher in the Rye is specifically high in price, I would say, but that's just me. I don't know. Well, I, I got this book, The Hellbound Heart, for like five. So that was I definitely scary. bought it for $3. And oh, three. speaking of The Hellbound Heart, that's what we're back to cover today. Uh, part two. After, after making their grim pact at the end of part one, Frank and Julia are going to set out in this episode to uh, get Frank the nourishment he needs like he's a little baby. Raise a little hell, baby. <laughs> oh, man. And we are going to be talking about all things Hellraiser Part 2. But first, Cole, was there anything that you wanted to say about Part 1? Or maybe you watched a few um, scary movies since the last episode or something. You got anything to say, pal? Uh, well, I've been watching that Bly Manor show on Netflix. And tell me what you're thinking about it. You know, The Haunting of Hill House, that spooked me out a lot. Uh, this one, not so much, a bit more of a drama, but it's got it's okay. got s- spooky parts every once in a while. Um, and then I watched this really scary film called Borat uh, 2. Okay, now tell me what you thought about Borat 2, because, of course, the first one is so classical that uh it doesn't seem like it could even be touched with the sequel but it's been done before so what did you think honestly i liked it uh there are some parts where i was rolling with laughter and that's all i really wanted uh it is a bit different well it's very different from the first one i figured Uh, it would have to be yeah and for multiple reasons but uh also you know covid i can tell definitely messed up a couple things but they capitalize on it and it's pretty great and um yeah just watch it for yourself it's it's pretty fun and actually it was very it was very moving in some parts very nice see the only thing i can think of with the sequel i mean apparently they managed to do it somehow because they did make it but my grandma probably knows who Borat is, so, like, how do they trick anyone anymore? You know what I mean? <laughs> That's what I thought, but there's exactly. some people in this film that have no idea who he was. Because they've been living <laughs> under a rock. <laughs> well, once I'm done torturing myself with my 
uh, sequel Tober movie list, I will watch Borat too, and then we'll have a whole podcast just um, reviewing that perhaps. But then, until yeah. then, Hellbound Heart Part Two, baby. Um, there we go. We gave you the little recap up top, but um, a few more details we could toss into there is, I suppose, the fact that um, Frank came back through the blood of his brother, Rory, just by cutting it on the back of the nail. I remembered the scene very vividly in the movie, which I rewatched last night, and yeah, he just cuts his hand on the flat part of a nail. Seems kind of goofy, but the blood leaks into the floorboards, and apparently... That's all you got to do to bring someone back from um, the, the yeah. Lemurcon configuration. Yeah, there's just one squirmy, one squirmy in there in the floorboard, and make contact with blood, and boom, oh. you got you got life, man. That's that's the birds and the bees, baby. That is the birds <laughs> and the bees. Even though we already did touch on it, that it was between the the blood of the one brother and the seed of the other. But once again, uh, that's apparently all you need. So let's just get down to it already, huh, Cole? Sounds good to me. Alrighty. After making his official return to the house on Ludovico Street, Frank Cotton has already managed to wind someone into his interdimensional torture web through convincing Julia to kill in his name so that he may sap the victims dry to get his blood up. Totally normal. Um, so perfect in the movie. He starts off as this skinny little bag of meat, and that's pretty much... I mean, that's kind of how he stays throughout the whole movie, <laughs> but... um, <laughs> But through getting an entire man's worth of blood, you could just see that uh, his, like, muscles are growing back more, and we're going to get into more of those details as we roll on here, but... It's ah, just incredible. Yeah. Um, after getting his first, I believe it's his first full victim in the movie, he immediately lights up a cigarette and he goes, my nerves, they hurt, I can feel, which just shows <laughs> that he is just coming back to life more and more. You're going to have to rewatch it because of the dub voice that we discussed last say. weekend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, I <didn't> catch that. <laughs> and I actually... Uh, accompanying my movie viewing experience last night, I watched it with um, the Joe Bob Briggs drive-in thing. For anyone Ooh. unfamiliar, Joe Bob Briggs used to host a show on TNT called Monster Vision. And during the commercial breaks, he would give you little tidbits about the movies. And it just kind of feels like you're watching the movie with someone, which is just kind of fun. So he was peppering in all sorts of knowledge with. Um, the viewing of Hellraiser, and one of the specific facts I picked up was the fact that the man who played Larry, Rory in the book, was an English, uh, er, an American actor, but only Frank was English, so the big dilemma came from having the two brothers with the separate accents, so they just dubbed the guy over who had less dialogue, so <laughs> that's really what pulled the movie, because yeah, there are a few... English characters, and even though the movie takes place in New York, it looks very English specifically with, you know, the architecture and all that kind of stuff. International city. <laughs> Absolutely. At this point in the book, just through his connection with his brother, Rory, through the room, uh, Frank's managed to muster up what could be compared to one of those lab skeletons with, like, maybe some loose jerky or ground hamburger. It uh, hamburger. 
<laughs> hanging <laughs> off him in bits and pieces. Am I saying that word right? Ambaga. <laughs> Ambaga. Uh, uh hamburger. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh but it, yeah, it's like uh one of those pictures you had seen in an anatomy book, but the thing that really uh it, it reminded me of was Slim Goodbody, that nightmarish oh. man from the whatever dimension he came from but i always thought that not, was weird not a day goes by that i don't picture slim good body <laughs> unfortunately um, naked and and um working off your example of the anatomy book it is kind of funny because they always show like the multiple layers to the anatomy you know the left half is a skeleton and the right half has the muscles and uh those illustrations could also probably accurately tell you what frank looks like just it's being like, the bag of the bag of meat that he is or whatever it's like uh <laughs> it's like those uh books where well it, it's like a transparent pages where you can just like add each layer oh. and like you know at first he's got a skeletal system and then he's like that. oh this body just gave me my muscles and then uh the next one gives him his nervous system now that is a nostalgia trip for you right there, folks. If you know, you know. Um, <laughs> yep. Still, transfixed by their affair right before her wedding, Julia sets out to make Frank whole again. Um, she starts out by visiting a bar near the house while Rory is at work and seduces an unkempt, if not nervous, businessman. Uh, interestingly... Julia tries her absolute hardest to learn as little about the man as possible to lessen the personal blow of luring him to his death. You know, no names, no marital status. I don't want to hear anything about your dumb old kids. Perfectly, uh, of course, too. It could be worked into the fact that she looks like a married woman there to cheat or whatever. I guess I can't remember if uh, if it specifies her taking her wedding band off, but... I mean, yeah, uh, <laughs> um, it'd just be personally, terrible. <laughs> personally, though, I mean, I think it would just get so boring not having a little conversation. So I think I would be prying on these questions before luring the man into his grisly unknown death. But that's just me. <laughs> She's just like, I don't want to hear about your 12 kids and your beautiful yeah. newborn <laughs> and how the disappearance of you is just going to fuck up your life. Frank needs yeah, to be no, a big no, boy no. again. <laughs> Oh, but uh, you're telling me about your kids right now, and I really cannot unring that bell. Sorry, little Samantha, but dad's not coming home. Um, um, beyond that, let him be just a body is her specific quote. Because once again, she just wants to keep this guy as, you know, mm, what's the what's the term I'm looking for here? An object. I mean, she's... She's going to refer to him as a lamb to the slaughter, pretty much, and that's all she wants to picture on top of just doing it, which shows that she apparently has a little empathy or sympathy or something like that, but not enough to not murder him to his death, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, at this point in the book, just so we know, uh, the businessman is specifically screwed. He is referred to as the lamb. And following her back to the house on Lodovico Street, the man is then lured into the damp room where Julia realizes and states that even if she didn't see the wedding band on the nervous lover lamb's finger, she'd still know he was married by the <laughs> underwear he's wearing, stating they were quote-unquote baggy and overwashed. 
an unflattering garment bought by a wife who had long since <laughs> ceased to think of her husband in sexual terms, which uh, is, once again, a little harsh, but they say the truth hurts, so, I mean. Yeah, Lizzo, uh, yeah, Lizzo. I'm a, I'm a, aware of the person you're talking about, but I don't know enough about her for that to the do truth hurts for me. Song. Oh, that, is that a song by her? Yeah. Yep. Well, perfect. Uh, I'm all but, for it. Yeah, I, I, I really liked this quote. I remember this. But yeah, it, it reminds specific. me of. Uh, you know, it's like a Hal or somebody from Malcolm in the Middle. You know, he's just got those <sighs> white undies on. It's just my like, favorite. You really want to watch? You really want to wear those? But apparently, that's exactly what he did. And all I'm saying is, I really hope Julia didn't say all that to his face because this guy is already on the road to a bad day. And um. <laughs> and like <laughs> he get he gets there and uh, she he's like, oh, we're just gonna. Do this on the floor, huh? Yep. And <laughs> yep, that that part is spelled out nice in the movie, too, because she walks him into this dark room with not a single piece of furniture. There isn't even, like, a, you know, bed sheet laying on the ground or something like that. And he's like, ah, <laughs> no bed. And she goes, I prefer it on the floor. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> To each their um, own, Julia. <laughs> yeah, crazy? exactly. She's she's just doing her thing. Um, one could refer to that as a red flag, but these guys, apparently, I mean, she must be quite a looker or quite a charmer. Maybe a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I really yeah. can't say. Julia, trying to get the deed over with before things get out of control, grabs a knife she concealed inside a coat hanging on the back of the door in the damp room and slices at the man's guts like a knife through soft cheese. Mm. Um, very graphic imagery here. Uh, I pretty much took this right from the book because, once again, we said we were going to be getting nasty in this one, and I personally like to try to live up to my word. Um, now, what kind of what kind of cheese do you think it would be? You know, that's a really good question because... The only ones I can really picture are your run-of-the-mill, you know, your cheddars and your Swiss cheese, but I don't picture any of them as particularly soft either. So, um, I've, Munster? I've been, uh, could, well, I don't know. Here's here's what I'm thinking. Uh, so, sometimes I'll get, like, like some cheese plates or whatever as an appetizer mm. here in Germany, and there's, like, thousands of different cheeses, but... Sometimes these cheese will like be really soft and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think it's like one of those things that you'd have with like some wine and it's like on a cheese plate. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of those. We're not we're not talking a block of Velveeta here, folks. Uh, no, oh, no God. <laughs> well, see, now that you mention that, all I can think of is Wallace and Gromit when they're slicing cheese off the moon. Man, and that was clay cheese, and that looked very delicious. I would definitely try that. I'd probably try any kind of cheese, honestly. Velveeta, not a a fan, though? Oh, no, you know, I'm just saying it's like the Walmart brick of cheese that you, you know, portion off for your mac and cheese or whatever you might do with it. Yeah, it's it's processed, but, like, I don't know. It's a guilty pleasure of mine. 
oh, I love shells and cheese. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. On top of feeling a sort of energy in the air after seeing the blood fly, Julia is also certain the lights flicker and the brick shift, showing us that old Frank is just waiting with bated breath or something. Like, hanging out behind the bricks and the walls, just ready to get at this big old juicy dude Julia brought home for him. And... Uh, I guess the blood flecks across the wall were just a little appetizer for him, maybe. Um, More. Yeah. Um, you know, here's kind of a something I wrote into the outline here. Um, Julia didn't even bother, like, getting the guy's blood types from them before killing them. So, I mean, apparently in the world of Hellraiser, you don't actually need the correct blood type to come back from being a hell zombie. Just something to think about. Well, maybe he's a universal uh, receiver, you know? Perhaps. Uh, oh, yes. O negative, <laughs> I believe. Yeah. Is that right? One of, yeah, one of those. After the vicious murder, Frank, feeling self-conscious, tells Julia not to look at him while he sets to work at making the big, gr- juicy grape into a shitty little raisin. Um, <laughs> Once again, just to quote the guy in the movie, he goes... Don't look at me. <laughs> yeah. I'm and, and yeah, you do get a look at him and you understand why he'd be self-conscious. I probably wouldn't be feeling great looking in the mirror if I was him in that specific situation either. But I also don't see myself going out of my way to put all the work into the thing he did. And he's not even happy with the situation he's in, which is, uh, I mean, I would call it a bummer, but Frank sucks. Before we get back to this, actually, do you have any specific... um? thoughts about frank or julia that you've thought about a little bit since we started covering the book here because we have a very small cast and they seem kind of one-dimensional but maybe you had some thoughts that wasn't just how awful and terrible they are uh frank he's a man of his own passions and there's really not much you can do to stop that julia I don't know. She's kind of difficult to paint because Frank has been using her and she's going along with it. The way uh, she thinks about her husband just shows how like disconnected she is from other people to get to Frank. Well, she's killing a guy too. Yes, she uh, is. You're so, right. Very, very, very fun a duo here, uh, Bonnie Absolutely. and Clyde, you could say. A bit of a, a bit of a Bonnie and skinless Clyde, you could say. There you um, go. While trying to clean up her dastardly mess, Rory returns home to almost catch Julia in the act of, you know, picking up like the husk of a man off the ground. Um, Ooh, close one. Yeah, seriously. If I had a dollar for every time I've been in this situation, am I wrong? Ugh. She manages to keep him from catching her with her pants down, metaphorically. Of course, since this is only about halfway through the book, um, this isn't the only body Frank's going to need, you know. Speaking with that which is no more to her eyes than a shifting shadow, Julia agrees to continue slaying in, Frank, uh, slaying in Frank's name. Um, this first one mostly went off without a hitch, so, you know, what could go wrong with the next couple, right? It's just yeah. part of the plan, man. Just yeah. go to the bar nearby, lure a couple of dudes home. You know, nobody will probably notice the same lady coming in there leaving with men that were never seen again. 
you know, multiple times in a week or something like that. Or that's exactly what someone would notice. Once again. Uh, the bartender's got to be very observant, I guess. Right. Well, I suppose, too, she is taking the businessmen who are just in town for a week or two or something like that. So they would Ooh. never be seen again or reported as missing because... They just left the bar at some point, and that's all that happened to them. They could have gone anywhere after the bar. Yep, yep. She's not. She's not grabbing the mayor of the town. You know, she's not grabbing. No, she the, isn't the the good Samaritan. The this next friend she brings home is a bit more distinct than the first guy, though. Other than the first guy and his awful whitey tighties. Oh, um, yeah. It's at this point in the story that we're introduced to who would mostly be called our central protagonist, Kirsty. In the movie, Kirsty's character is Larry's daughter. Um, yeah. You know, Larry being Rory in the book. Um, but in the book, she's uh, a meek and shy friend of Larry's, desperately in love with him. Not really sure why they did the switch up for the movie. It makes things kind of confusing and weird because it's the same character but one of one of them is in love with him and the other one is his daughter uh take it as you will i guess is it also julia's daughter no the mother is referred to um after larry and julia move into the house the uh he says like right in the beginning of the movie haven't been back here since the old lady died so I believe he is referring to his wife. But if that didn't cement it for you, at one point, the guys helping Larry move things into the house say Kirstie's got her mother's looks to Larry. And Larry says, her mother's dead. So, uh, um, you know, dead as disco, I suppose. Yeah. Um, weird switch. but Yes, absolutely. After Julia's suspicious actions the night before... Larry wants Kirsty to check in on Julia while he's at work. Julia herself sets back to work, going to the bar with malicious intent in mind just like before. Hearing the pouring rain outside, she's propositioned by a much more bold and larger man. Trying her Uh-oh. best to only pick the runts of the litter, she rebuffs the man's advances. Um, perhaps like any other serial killer, which, if I'm not mistaken... You know, I think that you got to kill three people in separate incidents to be referred to as a serial killer. And we'll just see where Julia's numbers land. But like a serial killer, she's got a specific prey in mind. She doesn't want the big, bold guy that's going to be able to put up a fight. She wants the little dork wearing the whitey tighties that uh, his wife picked out for him 50 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This guy, I don't know. It this might guy be a bit is of a the, challenge. He's the quarterback. <laughs> you know, he, he's uh yeah, he's he's the quarterback or the big uh lineman here. Uh he's yep. definitely not the kicker. He's got lots of lots of blood for Frank. And um, uh, that's what oh. we that's what we want here. Or, well, that's what Julia wants. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's what no no no. You you said it right the first time. That's what we all want is the most blood for Frank, because I'm sure once he's brought back completely, he will just be a completely normal citizen. Um, <laughs> we'll have to wait and see for that, I guess, though, actually. After some time, the man won't leave Julia, so she finally invites him back to the house on Ludovico Street. 
Bringing the confident businessman inside, he hangs up his raincoat and they make their way for the damp room. Mm. Coaxing the man into shutting his eyes with an affirmatory grope at the front of his trousers, Julia makes for the knife. Um, she's about to get to work when the man hears something in the shadows of the room and obviously starts freaking out. Once again, (laughs) it's bad enough that you followed this strange woman into a dark, damp room without any furniture, but you see the shadow shift and you're like, all right, 99 red flags, I can deal with that, but 100 may just be a few too many. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, uh... Uh, Frank, go back to your kennel, damn it! <laughs> yeah, seriously, Frank, you're kind of you're kind of ruining this for everyone. Here. <laughs> it's very romantic, and you're being a creep. Yeah, I mean, do you think? Okay, so do you picture them maybe more having like the single bare bulb hanging in the middle of the room, or maybe they have some candles lit, or are they literally just fumbling down in the stone cold dark? I'm picturing a single bulb room here, uh, okay, suspended yep. by you know the cord, and then you got the absolutely pull, the pull uh, switch there. Perfectly That's what creepy saying. for this. Perfectly creepy for this already very strange room. Yes. Yep. In the man's state of distraction, Julia takes the opportunity to slice at his neck, spraying a big old fat spurt of blood on uh, one of the walls. After a brief exchange, Julia notices the strength returning to Frank's voice, though he's still keeping himself shrouded in the shadow. Um, he must still be feeling a little self-conscious. <laughs> yeah, I wish that was emphasized more in the movie. You know, he should have started out with, like, Julia, I need my blood. And then, like, uh, okay, so, as it goes on, he'd be more uh, like, hey, where's my blood? <laughs> is that exactly how you're picturing his voice in the book? Because <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> um, because his voice is the same in every iteration of Frank in the movie. Uh, the second he comes back, it's already, come on, just give me a little bit of blood. I'm not <laughs> come asking on, for much here. <laughs> I'm just um, asking you to kill a man or two but or yeah. three. I do like that too. I just, I, I just need a little bit of blood. <laughs> now, if you, Julia, if you could just run down the stairs and uh, get get Rory back up here with his blood. Yeah, just get Rory to cut himself again or something like that. Um, we did see though that even though this guy was very bold, he, uh, I mean, this murder still pretty much went off without a hitch. Um, in the movie. The guys are literally sapped dry into, like, bags of bones and skin. But I kind of have trouble imagining what these guys would look like, because Julia's just said to clean up, but I don't really think you can throw a man's worth of skin into the garbage and just just toss it out on the corner. Um, I think they... Don't actually know. Well, here's the thing. Garbage men in society do not have the respect they need and i think we're I seeing the uh best the the best garbage men here um they take care of business and you know it seems like she throws the trash out and these guys are right on it so yeah they yeah um, they, they got that two-day that prime garbage disposal i don't know wow (laughs) could you imagine jeff bezos taking over the trash industry give him five years (laughs) um amazon garbage (laughs) um oh man yeah i guess we'll see um (laughs) it'll happen 
The pair's sweet reunion is interrupted when the doorbell rings. Kirsty, waiting anxiously on the business end of the door, is finally greeted by Julia. From Rory's description, Kirsty expects Julia to be somewhat emaciated or sickly looking in some way. But all Kirsty notices is the beads of sweat crossing Julia's brow. And you know, she also just helped murder a man, so she's probably a little winded. Just a little worked out in general. I imagine that it takes a lot of work to slice a man's neck open with a knife. I could could see that. Yeah, Julia tells Kirsty she'd just woken up, but Kirsty, uh, while Kirsty thinks that she was in bed moments before, she doesn't exactly think that she just, uh, rolled out of it, if you know what I mean. Ooh. Um, wink, wink. Okay. You get it, you know. She wasn't yep. doing, uh, what do they say? Um, she was in bed, but she wasn't sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, like, gets to the door and, like... She's, like, covered in blood, and then she does, like, a fake <laughs> yawn, and she's like, ooh, morning already. Oh, one o'clock, oh, you wow. say? Wow, okay. Yeah, really. <laughs> After Julia slams the door in Kirsty's face, she sets off, taking note of Julia's clear agitation. Once again, probably a little irritated because she was just in the middle of something. and yeah, business. And Kirsty also noticed a sopping wet raincoat hanging in the entryway, uh, entryway of the house that clearly didn't belong to Rory because he wasn't home. Mm. Um, in the movie, Kirsty is literally, it looks like she's waiting 10 feet away from the front door of the house watching Julia bring a guy in. And then <laughs> Julia does that thing where she like you know, looks out the door after the guy walks in to make sure no one's looking and Kirsty is, like, staring dead at her compared to, in the book here, the only um, sign Kirsty has physically is the man's raincoat being hung uh, up. Okay. Um, I suppose, you know, they gotta beef it up for the cinematic aspects a little bit. Yeah, they didn't really think they'd have the smartest audience for this this scene here, right. That was another thing I learned is um, this movie was made for under a million dollars and made 35 uh, or no, made over 30 million in the box office. um, And they just expected this to be a straight to video thing, too. Now, that's business, baby. Hell yeah. It turned out to be very big. Um, Being that no one would expect their dear friend's horrible wife to be committing murder to save some asshole from a hell dimension, Kirsty just thinks Julia's having an affair, obviously. The signs are all there. The bead of sweat on the brow, the pant, the man's raincoat, the bloody knife that Julia forgot in her hand when she opened the door. Um, <laughs> actually, scratch that last one. Come on, Kirsty. You know, all the, all the signs... How can you not see this coming? Like, a dude doing an intricate puzzle to get... Uh, into this other dimension, and then uh, this lady has to kill people to keep them alive. How could she not see this coming? I don't know. I'm not. It's a fan happened of a million times. <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> um, as she makes her way down the street, Kirsty can sense the unmistakable feeling of being watched. After gaining Ooh. some distance, Kirsty finally turns to see if her suspicions are correct. Frank from the damp room is watching Kirsty's every move, confident that she can't see him even though she's staring directly at the window he's peeping her through. But, Ooh. you know, 
the dark room is nice and dark enough so uh she doesn't see this like half skeleton man staring back at her because i don't even think she'd care if it was frank or not uh if she saw this um once again muscle man staring at her this slim good body peeking through the window um she would probably have a bit of a reaction to that but she doesn't she still knows she's being watched though yeah she's got a very confident feeling that uh something's there it's that supernatural feeling you get i suppose though oh of course this could be rendered as a sort of supernatural thing or a completely unknown thing or once again she might just expect that um, the guy that was up in the bedroom with Julia is just watching her through the window, which is technically what is happening. There's just yeah. a few more details in there than Kirstie needs to know. Returning to the damp room, Julia finds her most recent victim dismembered, but sees no signs of Frank. This is until she turns to leave and finds him blocking the doorway. In the moments it had taken Julia to tell Kirstie to frick off, Frank is already noticeably meatier and even has some nice, thin, golden hair sticking out of his exposed scalp. Um, like the fine hairs on top of a baby's head is how they're described, which uh, is... Um, it's like it's like the first... Uh, well, for me, uh, the first few <laughs> arm hairs that I started getting when I was a teenager and... Just, uh, they just come in in like these like half inch hairs and that would be it. I would have the well, I still have these like random like half inch <laughs> hairs on my shoulders and shit. And that's just kind of what I imagine in here. And interestingly enough, it's noted in the book that Julia finds Frank more repulsive than ever at this point, noting that the more obvious scraps of humanity <laughs> made for a much more ghastly sight, almost making it more real, which makes sense, I suppose. Um, now that she recognizes the more human parts of the face and musculature compared to just the, once again, the skeleton with the most basic amounts of meat on it, I could see that being a little more horrific because once yeah. again, it's more human. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, uh, he, he's like watching himself get his body back and he's like, Oh, Julia, Julia, look, I got my eyebrows back. Oh, right. I got three and, eyebrow hairs coming in today. And I believe the movie and the book go hand in hand with their victim count. And after this one is when Frank lights up the cigarette and comments about how he can feel his nerves again. Which uh, that's is a good thing. That That's um, just the magic of cigarettes, man. Oh, I absolutely agree. Um, it's kind of interesting don't. that he's, it's kind of interesting that Frank is happy with the fact that, um, he can feel pain again because he was just feeling constant pain for however long he was with the Cenobite. So I don't know that I would specifically be like joyous that I can feel all my nerves hurting, you know, yeah, against the exposed like, air. You know, your skin is an organ and yes, well, not having that's what that. they'll have you believe. <laughs> it's not an <laughs> if instrument. If you read the right papers, <laughs> what? Yeah, um, but that, that I I feel like that's just gotta hurt all the time. Uh, how he's not dying of gang gangrene right now is just <sighs> beyond me. But yeah, you know, we're gonna need to um, lift our what do you call it? Veil of suspense. 
whatever that term is, uh, just for reading this book because, you know, I guess it isn't real or whatever. It's it's a fiction book for anyone that wasn't aware. Um, yeah, not approved by scientists. Frank can feel pain seeing that his nerves are working and requests that Julia helps him to bandage himself to keep his exposed nerves under wraps. Uh, too stupid. Frank, being the greedy gut that he is, obviously asks for one last body before the two of them can hop into a coop and ride off into the sunset together. Going to note here that in their exchange, Julia says that she loved or thought she at one point loved Rory, showing us that she isn't completely reprehensible, but at one point may have, you know, not been the most completely awful person ever in existence. And... The specific chapter this one ends with, ends with the quote, He had learned nothing of delicacy since last he'd held her, but despair had taught her the fine art of squeezing blood from stones. With time she would have love from this hateful thing, or know the reason why. Talking about Frank and Julia's embrace, I just thought that that was an exciting little tidbit there. Because, clearly... Julia is trying to help Frank. Uh, Rory wants Julia, but Julia, I mean, but, um, Larry. No, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Larry, Rory. Rory. But Frank doesn't care for either of the two. He just wants to get the hell out of Hell World. Yeah. And that is where we will leave off before part three of The Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker. Cole. What are you thinking about right now, pal? Well, it's just like uh, Bonnie and Clyde. If if Clyde went to hell and Bonnie had to get him back, you know, they Literally are... Literally the same story. Yep. Uh, true, both true stories as well. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. Just a lot of, you know, Julia... She's she's bringing in the meat here. She's bringing in the ribeye steaks, uh, the lamb chops, whatever. Ooh, uh, you can't <laughs> knock her work ethic. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, she's she's getting good at this. And yeah, she's getting into the realm of being a heavy hitter for sure. Absolutely. It just goes to show, interestingly enough, how it barely took. I mean, I guess you could refer to Frank coming back to life as, like, a nudge in the right direction. But it did not take much for her to be like, oh, you just want me to murder a couple dudes for you? Yeah, why not? I got nothing going on. Yeah. Um, Rory <laughs> Rory is the one working while Julia just hangs out at home watching daytime TV or something like that, I guess. She sucks. She treats it as, like, oh, I'm just... You want me to go run some errands for you? Go down to the local uh, Aldi store? And get you, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess they don't sell wine uh, at Aldi in Minnesota, but you can get like. Don't they? Do they sell wine in the supermarkets in your neck of the woods? Well, you see, Minnesota is one of those weird states where, you know, you can't buy it unless it's at a liquor store or whatever. And so when I, when I got back to Minnesota and I was 21, I bought uh, beer from the gas station because in South Carolina, uh, you know, you can buy anything really. And yeah, I bought it. And then my family looked at me and they're like, 
you know that's three percent right and i was like oh what uh yeah we've all been there yeah Um, that wasn't fun absolutely but with that like i said that's where we're leaving off for what will probably be the third and final part of the hellbound heart and i mean i don't know about you cole but I'm pretty excited for our secret extra content that's going to be coming out later this week after this episode. I don't want to say what it is, but it's a spooky special. Yeah, you'll just have to hang in there and find out. Um, But, you know, while you're doing that, why don't you go follow us over on the Instagram at the Bad Apple Book Club? There are things on there, you know, stuff. There's posts, stories, book book stuff uh, yes if you ever see someone posting up some kind of a story relevant to the book the day of or the day after that's usually cole's thing and you're always nailing it with that content giving us a little taste of what the episode will unfold before our very ears through the power of listening oh wow and now that's a pod- <laughs> now that's a podcast that is the webster definition of a podcast Yes, I couldn't agree more if I wanted to. Um, (laughs) But, you know, otherwise, everyone out there, just be cool. Uh, Keep on keeping on and have fun. Have a spooky time. Trouble with that podcast, you call me. Of course. You know, I can always do nothing with it.